Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Jonah 1, 1-3 Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You know, we are uh, kicking off this series in Jonah, and uh, a lot of us know Jonah as um, a big fish that swallowed a man and puked him up on dry land. And that's kind of the extent of knowing it. And it's so much more diverse than that. One of my favorite books in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. And to help you prepare, to understand, to put yourself in position to hear God's word. Um, and again, we identify a Saturday soak. Yesterday, we, if you're not getting our emails, we identified these scriptures, these first three verses. Um, you could go ahead and do some, over, some extra credit and just read the whole book in its entirety. 48 verses. Knock it out in less than 10 minutes. But 48 verses. Jonah is in the Bible because he is like us. So get ready. We are people. We are people that are poisoned with the pursuit of protection of comfort. We like to pursue comfort. We like to protect our comfort, our self-righteousness, doubting God, doubting, exalting ourselves in self-worship, running from responsibilities. Only you really know what I'm talking about there because you like to keep that private. Running from responsibilities, judgmental anger, and, and we're even prone to pout. Folks, there's many different themes that uh, I think God in his loving care for us as we go through this series is going to just excise some of our heart that needs to be changed. Uh, we can anxiously wish for things and change in things that we have no authority to change. And the truth is, this story of Jonah is actually more about our gracious God than it is about Jonah. Jonah gets the title. Uh, God gets the glory. He has a plan and he wants to use us in accomplishing his plan to bring himself glory. That is a big aim of who God is and the way he, he chooses to use us. He does not have to, but he chooses to. So as we begin this journey, I want you to, envision, I want you to think about yourself. Uh, do I have a heart? Do I have a heart for God? Do I have a heart for God? Are you running from God? What are you running from? These many other questions we're going to pursue and, and, and to know better in this seven-week series begins today. Um, and before we go any further, I just want to lift this series up to the Lord. Let's go together in prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, with hands lifted high, hearts exposed, eyes able to see, ears quick to hear. 
And we expose our hearts to you and we say, Lord, have your way. Have your way with our hearts. Some of our hearts are hard. Some of our hearts are very, very hard. And some of our hearts are in need of being softening and shaped by you. Would you use the preaching and the teaching of your scriptures to have your way uh, in each one of us in this wonderful church that you have provided? It's yours. It's all yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to tell you, maybe you've heard Jonah preach before and maybe in a different church, but I'm going to tell you how we're going to teach Jonah here as a preaching team. So some churches may choose to teach Jonah as more of an allegory or maybe even a parable, and that would simply just not be appropriate. This is, uh, Jonah is a real live historical figure. He is in the Bible. We're going to take a look at that in just a second in 2 Kings, uh, where he is documented as a real life person, a historical person. And so we are going to look at the scriptures here as teaching prophetic narrative. Now you'll see in these 48 verses that there's uh, not much prophecy, but Jonah definitely is a prophet. He is a prophet of God. And we're gonna see his story, the narrative of who Jonah is and how he goes about doing his job. Or maybe not doing his job. Or doing his job with grace. So, we're going to be teaching Jonah like, uh, much like you'll see in Elijah or Elisha in 1 Kings, but we're going to be going about it from a prophetic narrative, okay? So why do we run from God? Why do we run from God? And what does running from God even look like? We've got this example that we see here in Jonah. I'll read it for us again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So it took Jonah... How long did it take him to run? It took him two verses. He hears what he's being called to do, and he's like, yeah, not so much. It's not happening. No, in so many words. No, thank you. I'm going to give you a couple of maps in just a moment here. We're going to geek out a minute. But what do we know about Jonah? What do we know about Jonah? Jonah is the son of Amittai, as we just heard. Uh, Jonah was a prophet, and, and he was from Gath Hefer. Uh, Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom in Israel, and he, he was prophesying to the people of Israel and to King Jeroboam II. Uh, and we read and learn about Israel's king restoring the northern border. So let's read it together in 2 Kings chapter 14. Turn your Bibles with me. 2 Kings chapter 14. Of course, 2 Kings is right after 1 Kings. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Lastly, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, 
the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hefer. Okay, so let's take a look at some maps. Does anybody else like maps? Yes. Does anyone else like laser pointers? Yes. Okay, let's go to um, this map. There's two maps here. This one is simply a small, a condensed version, a zoomed-in version of this one right around in here. Okay, so this area right up in here is what the king was able to take advantage of after Assyria came in and attacked Syria. And so this was restoring the northern kingdom's borders, the northern borders, and so uh, King Jeroboam swept, swept in evilly. Remember, he's an evil king, and he got all this area back for the Lord. He was operating primarily here in Samaria. Um, Samaria over here condensed a little bit more. And this is where we see that um, Jonah was born and did a lot of his ministry right up here in Gathefer. This is all uh, recorded for us in 2 Kings. Um, let's go to the next slide. This next slide is a modern slide. This is provided from uh, the internet, and this is down here. This is Israel and North, it's, it's very small, but I'm just trying to show you where modern day uh, Nineveh is, and that is right here by the town, the, the town, the city. Back in Nineveh, this is called Mosul, Mosul, Iraq. Okay, this is uh, modern day Mosul, Iraq. And uh, there's still a bit of Nineveh left there, although it took a tremendous shelling back in 2016 and 17 and much fighting uh, within Iraq as they're trying to excise ISIS out of Mosul. Remember, they had, they had gathered up in the streets there and were using people as human shields, and it was uh, a terrible, terrible, terrible battle um, for the people of Iraq. So that is originally where... Nineveh was. Um, let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is just to provide a, a little bit of perspective here. Okay, so now this is where Jonah was originally, and he was called by the Lord to go to Nineveh, was now Mosul. He was called to go to Nineveh, which would be about a 550-mile walk, okay? And if you averaged about 15 to 20 miles a day, which people would be able to average, uh, that would take a month take a month of walking to eventually get to your uh, enemy's headquarters, uh, eventual capital city, uh, Nineveh. That great city, meaning large, it took uh, three days' time to walk through the city, it was said, uh, to be able to go from end to end, and it was probably more like the suburbs, end to end. But an evil city, an evil city, folks. Can you think of a, a city known as being evil today? Kansas City. <laughs> no, no, but like Vegas, a lot of people point at Vegas where the Super Bowl is being held today. That would be like if you transported yourself to Grand Junction, Colorado, and started walking uh, that, that distance of walk from Grand Junction to Vegas would be about the same walk that God was calling Jonah to walk to Nineveh. But what Jonah did instead was, he's like, yeah, I'm not going. I'm going to get on this boat that's headed for Tarshish. It's going to eventually do this. Going by Greece, Turkey, Italy, France, 
Spain, 2,500 nautical miles later was the plan. And he didn't get far. <laughs> he didn't get far. But you can just see the decisiveness of like, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go that way a long way to flee the presence of the Lord. As if you could do such a thing. Okay, let's go to the next slide. What do we know about this city called Nineveh? This is a bad map. Uh, it's really pretty much for my eyes only, but here's Nineveh here and uh, Persian Gulf. This is Mediterranean Sea, Israel down here, traveling this way. Um, you know, Nineveh was built by Nimrod. Nimrod, back in Genesis chapter 10, we, we learned this, it's documented there. Uh, Nimrod, mighty hunter is what Nimrod means, so it would be a great name to, to name one of your children someday. <laughs> Nimrod, mighty hunter. He, his great-grandfather, you might recall, is Noah. Noah from the ark. First name Noah, last name from the ark. <laughs> Noah, so that was his great-grandfather, but they, he eventually established Nineveh and many other cities along the way, Nimrod did, um, a long time ago. So that's who originally uh, developed Nineveh. Uh, after Jonah's day, it became the capital of the Assyrian Empire. That's what Nineveh did. It became the capital of the Assyrian Empire that eventually destroyed the Northern Kingdom, Israel. It eventually destroyed it in 722 BC. Okay, so report's over. Let's get to preaching. That's a little bit about who we're going to be looking at, where we're going to be looking at, the landmass, the decisions made. Why, do, why did Jonah run from the Lord? Why do we run from God? We're going to be looking at that question. Why do we run from God? Why do we run from the Lord? Why do we run from Jesus? And what does it even look like when we run? Oftentimes it doesn't mean, you know, picking up knees and, and, and running hard. Although Jonah did that. He, he, he got in a boat and they started paddling hard. But for us, running from the Lord can look like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a mental decision. It's a change of perspective. It's a change of order. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested. That's not good for me. Not going to work for my schedule. I'm not good at that. Not going to do that. Right? We can come up with a lot of these sayings, these excuses, these justifications to saying, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run from the Lord. Now, I think one of the first things that we learn about why, why we run from the Lord, that we can learn from Jonah, is that we minimize sin. We have a tendency to minimizing sin. Jonah knows God, and he knows Nineveh, and they couldn't be further apart, 180 degrees apart. Righteous, holy God is calling Jonah to go and tell these people to repent. Let's remember, folks, this is in the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, the great evil city full of Gentiles, chock full of them. And God is demonstrating his heart for all people, even now through the story of Jonah. 
So Jonah's probably, he's been asked, let's give him the benefit of doubt, folks. He's been asked to do a hard thing. Very hard. Some of you might be like, 550 miles, that's the hard thing. But that was common for people back then to travel on roads that way. Jonah is being asked to do a difficult thing. We admit, you know, when we minimize sin, and, and Jonah's doing that because he's like, these people aren't even deserving of your message of repentance. I hate these people. They're not your people. I'm not doing it. Not gonna go there. They're not worth you. I know that you are a God full of grace and mercy. I know this about you. I'm not gonna do it. I don't wanna do it. So for us, we tend to admit, um, we're quick to admit, many of us in this room would quick, be quick to admit that we're a sinner. Would we not? Are we all sinners? The Bible say so a bunch of times. And it's quick to agree, but even if, if you have a short half of a day, it's easy to find, yeah, I didn't do well there. So we can all agree that we are all sinners, but when it comes down to when, by chance, someone lovingly pulls you aside and says, hey, hey, don't look at the, that woman that way. Don't look at that woman who walked away. Don't look at her that way. Well, I wouldn't look at anybody. No, no, I, I saw you. I saw you look. No, you must have been mistaken. I was looking at, uh, I was looking at the TV screen behind her, like that's, and we are so quick to start defending and protecting and diverting and dodging because we don't want to be seen as a sinner, which we are actually quite eager to agree to. But when it comes down to an actual sin, we get hyper embarrassed, don't we? We get really embarrassed. We get very embarrassed. So a lot of times we can identify with being a sinner, but when it comes time that somebody may have something to say to us directly, uh, we dodge and duck and we lie to others and we lie to ourselves and the truth is far from us. As a result, we neither confess our sin nor have compassion for the sinfulness of others. When we operate in this fashion of just like, yeah, the sin doesn't really, that, that, this whole thing about active sin or me sinning doesn't really apply to me. That was a long time ago. I used to be a sinner, but now, folks, we all struggle with sin. It, and the war is mighty. Galatians 5 talks quite a bit about it. Uh, Galatians 5 talks quite a bit about how we were all born with a sinful nature inside of us, and that is not removed until the day that we are redeemed forever and ever and ever by Jesus himself with new bodies. But we have this sinful nature inside of us and the Holy Spirit inside of us, and they are, the word says they're in constant conflict with one another, constant. And so, folks, the, the, the battle against sin is very real, and we need each other. More of that to come later. When was the last time, I want you to think, when was the last time you confessed your sin to another person? You confessed your sin to God, first of all. When was the last time you confessed your sin to God? Let's read 1 John. 1 John chapter one. I've got it marked for myself so I can get there quickly, but it's at the end of your Bible, and it's a beautiful verse. I've only, I've, I forgot to make a change in my PowerPoint, but I'm gonna read eight through 10. 1 John chapter one, verses eight through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Beautiful part in that passage is he is faithful. Folks, he is faithful. When was the last time you confessed your sin to another believer? James 5.16 encourages us to do that, instructs us to do that. And I've seen many of you do that. Especially when you call the elders to come and pray for you for your healing, for physical sickness and that sort of thing. Uh, We ask you, according to James 5.16, we look at it like a cookbook. We go through order step by step and it says, do you have any sins that you want to confess? I've seen several of you confess sins. And we pray for you. And we pray the healing upon you, forgiveness upon you that you would walk and sin no more. When was the last time you sat in your sin? Sat in your sin. As a lot of times we'll see in the Old Testament, people in their sin, they would just sit in a, in a burlap bag and ashes all over themselves and they're just sitting in it like miserable failure. Psalm 51 Verses one and two is a psalm that David, a man known as having a heart after God, well, he created some very wicked sin, sins. He, 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 he produced wickedness. He stole another man's wife and had him killed. This man who was one of the most loyal soldiers in his army and he had him killed so he could take his wife for himself. And, and so David writes, after this, as he is sitting in his sin, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then just, there's more and more and more beautiful poetry, words of God that we can be moving forward away from our sinful ways. I think as the church of Jesus Christ, we should be the most honest, the most candid community known. We should all be eager to say, I need a savior. This is just another reason why I need a savior. Pray for me. If you're in a life group, which I wish, I wish and pray that each and every one of you were in one of our life groups where you're doing life around the gospel together. Uh, life group leaders, here's, here's a quick training. Allow time for people to confess their sin. Allow space for this to be a safe place to confess your sin so they don't have to struggle in silence any longer. Confess your sin. Don't minimize your sin. We minimize our sin. Secondly, okay, why do we run? I think we're self-oriented, and we see that in Jonah. He is overwhelmed immediately. We are self-oriented. He's like, I didn't sign up for this. I was fine doing successful prophesying back in, in, here in Israel uh, for this evil king. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with doing that, but what you're asking me to travel over 500 miles to a Gentile city that is reveling in evil continually, and you think my message is gonna get to them? You think they're gonna listen to me? I'm calling you to do it. He's not interested. He's more self-oriented. In his overwhelming feeling, he forgets who God is. We think about our welfare first. 
Don't we think about ourselves first oftentimes? This is why we get mad driving. We've got somewhere to go on our time. What are these two people in both of these lanes going the same speed all the way down this thoroughfare in a 40 mile an hour zone and they're going 41 miles an hour? I can't get before them. We get mad because we've got our own way to go. My wife experienced this early in our marriage when she was pregnant with our firstborn. And the per- she pulled up to a stoplight and the car in front of her just started drifting and drifted right into the back of the car in front of him. She sees him slump over. She gets out and realizes he's having a massive heart attack. So she's like 15 months pregnant just. <laughs> and she pulls him out, somebody else comes and helps and pulls him out and people are driving by, honking their horn, flashing signals, just mad because they're clogging up that whole lane. Of course they don't know what's going on until they get there, right? We don't always, we don't always know what, what people are going through when we're driving, but we are always fully aware of what's going on with us and our self-orientation. Our plan is controlled by our independence. His plan, his plan requires us to be dependent upon him. This was shared with me recently in a, in a testimony. Psalm 40 is something I can look back on and reflect upon in my own life when I first, first came to Jesus. Psalm 40, verse 1, 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Man, I was all about that. I felt that so strong. I knew that, man. I wanted to blow a trumpet if I could. I really, really believed that. I was being saved. So why do we run? We minimize sin. We are self-oriented. And lastly, we are forgetful people. We are forgetful people. Do a quick exercise here. I'll wait for you to finish writing that note. All of us in the room, I want you to, all of us on three to close our eyes and keep them closed for five seconds. One, two, three. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Did you forget what you look like? I say no. Open your eyes. We are forgetful people, but we don't forget what we look like. You know why? Because we have these mirrors everywhere showing us what we look like. And we spend a lot of time looking at ourselves in the mirror. I remember being a young, 20-year-old, virile, young man and going to the gym successfully like three or four days in a row had an effect on me. And I pull away from the mirror a good 12 feet underneath a certain light and man, I could get some peaks and some definitions 
brother was looking good <laughs> at 12 feet. Not 13, not 11. And nowadays, I'm just looking in the mirror as little as possible to just see if I have a gravy stain right here. <laughs> Mirrors will either make you feel way too good about yourself or they will make you feel way too poorly about yourself. But we spend a lot of time in front of mirrors, even though we don't forget what we look like. What we forget is God's faithfulness. We forget God's faithfulness. So I wish for you to either crack your mirrors, break them all, or maybe just maybe get a reverse tattoo that says God is faithful on your forehead. Some, don't do that. Some of you might do that. Don't, <laughs> don't. You did not get permission from me to get a reverse tattoo on your forehead. But God is faithful. We have been saved by a merciful and gracious God, have we not? He is merciful. He is gracious. Full of love. We've been saved from so many sins. So many sins. Just myself, I'm thinking. I've been saved from so many sins. Nineveh needed salvation, and the Lord is salvation. We are His. All of us are His. We are all image bearers, Genesis tells us. We are all image bearers of God Almighty. We are made in His image, each and every one of us. Each and every one of us has that in common. We're His. We matter. Each one of us matters. So I started off asking you, do you have a heart for God? And you put yourself and you think about God being almighty, holy, the preeminence, the most excellent, pure, faithful, just in his judgment, white, hot, holy flames. God, do you have a heart after God? You may say, no, and that would be wrong. You do have a heart after God, and it needs some help. It needs some work. It needs some work. Why do we run from God? As we see in Jonah, as we see for us, God calls us to do hard things. God called Jonah to do a hard thing. He calls us to do hard things. There's a lot of hard things he calls us to do. It wasn't just education. It wasn't just college, graduating high school or graduating from college and master's or doctorate degrees. It wasn't just that, that. That was hard. He calls us to do other hard things. Hard things like not just enjoy being married, but embracing the difficulties of marriage. Embracing your vows. be a hard thing. When the Bible says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and the husband says, love her, love her. I hate her. We haven't been intimate for 10 years and three months and three weeks. How can you say to love her? 
And God's word tells us to love her. Pray for her. Honor your vows before me and your families. Pray for her. Love her. And when a, fam- when, a, when a couple has been that distant for that long, yeah, it's a hard thing to do. But through God, we can do all things. We can do all things through him. He gives us strength. There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. I've seen him do it. He can do it. We just need to be obedient. He calls us to do hard things. My, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. His grace is sufficient for us, folks. It's truth. Don't think you're beyond his grace. His truth can reign in your life. His grace can have permeance in your life. You may feel like you are at a dead, dead end. A dead end. He's calling you to do something hard. He calls us to do hard things. And we can because he did. We can because he did. Jesus did the hard things. Yes, Jesus went to the cross and he died a willing, innocent man. But he also walked with difficult people. He can so we can. We can because he did this, and he is in us. We are sealed with Jesus. He is with us everywhere he goes. He keeps his promise. We can because he did. He walked with difficult people. He prayed with difficult people. He taught difficult people. The Father called called Jesus to do hard things, and boy, did he do hard things. He left the harmony of heaven to come here to this sin and diseased world to die for people who mock him and don't pay any attention to him and who claim to be a Christian but don't give him any time of day. He did a hard thing. We can do hard things because he did hard things. So what hard thing is he calling you to do? What hard thing is he calling you to do? He's calling me to buy a Corvette. He's calling me to win the lottery. He's calling me to... You can identify what he's calling you to do by looking at the word here. Clearly, Jonah was called to do his job. Go and prophesy. Go and do what I've made you to do. Go and do what I've called you to do. Just go do it. Don't get to the end and and, and figure out how it's going to end up. Trust me for that. Trust me for that, the Lord says to us. So what is he, what's the hard thing he's calling you to do? Forgive? Forgive someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness? Is he calling you to repent of your private sin or your public sin? Is he calling you to just fall down on the sword and sit in your sin? Is he just calling you to, to be clean? Conf- is he calling you to confront someone in love? I don't want to mess with their business. It's not my place. Is he calling you to love that person well? and do something hard. It's hard. It's hard to do these things. Don't minimize it. It's hard to do these things. So don't run. Jesus, stay fast. He's our model. Who to follow. Money, is he calling you to throw your credit card away and start paying more than the minimum balance? Is he calling you to be, start giving real 
uh, sacrificially to worthwhile projects, worthwhile to, to God himself? Is he, is he challenging you this? Marriage, is he calling you to stick in your marriage when it's not worth sticking into according to your mind? God can do a great thing. Ask for help. Ask for help. Do a hard thing. Ask for help. Health, a lot of us have already f- failed on our New Year's resolutions. Commit your eating plan to the Lord. Ask for help. Ask for help. Get public about your faith. Get loud about it. Sharing the good news of Jesus, we're all for that. We give money in the plates for that. We want to see that happen. But God wants to use you. Use you much more than just inviting your friend to church, but he wants to use you to say, how are you, how are you with your relationship with God? Do you have peace with God? Oh, I've never had anybody ask me that question before. It's a hard question to ask. But once you get it out there, people might be very, very interested in talking about very, very good news. He's faithful, folks. He's faithful. He's faithful and true. He is salvation for you, and he wants to be salvation for the world. He's asking us to obey. We can do it because he did it. We can do it. Jonah, I'm really looking forward to the themes and the lessons that God has for each one of us in this room, uniquely tied together as his church. Uh, Looking forward to that. So please, uh, read through Jonah, read through those 48 verses, uh, and we can continue marching together. Uh, But I want to close this in in a word of prayer. So let's go to God in prayer now. Father, we thank you that you are a, a heavenly Father that is full of power. You are all-powerful, in fact. You are all-powerful. You are sovereign over all. Father, you have the ability to control climate, wind, the ocean waves, a big fish, a plant to grow, a worm to eat it. You have control over all. You are all powerful. And so for me and my friends in this room, we hear that you call us to do hard things. And uh, we can agree with that. It's hard for us. But I'm praying that God, that somehow, some way, as we take steps of obedience with what you've called us to do that is hard, we will see your faithfulness in those steps. We will see that you are with us. We will know that we're not alone. And it's gonna be hard. But let us know we're not alone. I lift this time to you and thank you for it and pray this all in the powerful and the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.